Engaging Leader Episode 126, Holacracy, an Agile Management System for a Rapidly Changing World. Featuring Brian Robertson. Leadership inspired trust, passion, and action. Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. On Engaging Leader, we've often discussed how 21st century teams require going beyond traditional command and control leadership, which I call Influence 2.0, to a more interactive mode that I call Engagership or Influence 3.0. One crucial principle of Influence 3.0 is delegating authority not just for tasks, but for actual planning and decisions. Now, there are many reasons this is critical. For one, today's business environment is so complex and changes so rapidly that organizations lose if they rely on a, quote, heroic leader, unquote, or even a a group of senior leaders to acquire information, to attempt to predict the future, and to cascade decisions to the rest of the organization. For most leaders, this is an ongoing challenge because authority seems to keep ending up back in our lap. You know, perhaps it's the micromanaging inclination uh, that we have to take charge. Or maybe it's the fault of somebody on our team. Maybe they're fearful or maybe even lazy and they have an inclination to pass the buck. I don't know. Uh, It just depends on the situation. Or maybe it's actually the result of that traditional top-down organizational structure of authority. However, if we simply eliminate hierarchy altogether, we find that flat management alternatives, well, they fall flat. For example, a lack of clarity encourages people to avoid making decisions or else to seek only decisions that have a full consensus, which slows everything down until there's a crisis that eventually prompts us, the leader, to momentarily return to command and control leadership. Holacracy proposes to be a third way. It promises to bring structure and discipline while distributing authority and accountability where it's most effective. If that's the case, then holacracy could be a tremendous opportunity for us to practice Influence 3.0 in our organizations. It's supposed to be a fundamentally different operating system for organizations. It's supposed to revolutionize how a company is structured, how decisions are made, and how authority is distributed. Perhaps the best-known examples of companies who have adopted holacracy in the last five years are Zappos and the David Allen Company. You may may remember we talked to David Allen himself back in episode 111 on Engaging Leader about getting things done, GTD, for leaders. Today we're talking to Brian Robertson. He's the author of the brand new book, Holacracy, The New Management System for a Rapidly Changing World. Brian is actually the creator of Holacracy, and he founded Holacracy One, the organization that is training people and companies all over the world in this new system. Brian had previously launched a successful software company where he first introduced the principles that would become Holacracy. And so he's not just a management theorist, he's someone who has successfully implemented a Holacracy-powered organization. Brian Robertson, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Brian, give us an overview of how Holacracy works. 
Well, I think it's easiest to understand it in contrast to what we're used to, which is the management hierarchy. So for oh, about 100 years, we've used the kind of modern management hierarchy as a way to break down work, get alignment, make sure we have accountability in organizations, and figure out who's going to do what, who's going to make which decisions, and all that. Holacracy is a different mechanism to achieve those same goals. So it's the same functions that we, we expect in a management hierarchy. Uh, we do need alignment. We need work breakdown. We need accountability. We need all that. Holacracy gives you a different way of getting there. Uh, instead of relying on a hierarchy of managers or people who have the power to tell other people what, what to do, Holacracy uses a series of processes uh, that are custom designed to break down the work and figure out what are the roles we need in an organization and what do we need to expect of those roles and what authority do the roles need in order to get their work done. Uh, so it's it's a, a way of structuring an organization that's highly role-based and that uses processes that lots of people can contribute to, not just managers, to figure out what those roles should be. And then once you have them, it gives people a lot more autonomy than you see in a management hierarchy. Uh, there's no micromanaging boss who can jump in and tell you what to do or countermand your decision. If you fill a role, you have the authority to lead it the way that makes sense to you within the responsibilities and the power you've been given. So sum all that up, it's a completely different way of structuring an organization and one where you still do end up with clear structure, just you don't arrive at it by breaking it down a hierarchy like we're used to. One thing that appealed to me is that it's more constitution-based management or playing by the rules of the game versus management based on the leader's prerogative or, or whim. So it's like a, a game of chess or football where you've got agreed upon rules and that's what makes the game fun and workable as opposed to just whatever the referee decides is right or wrong at any point in time. Yeah, I mean, imagine uh, playing a sport where somebody was pretty much making up the rules as they went. Nobody knew what they were. <laughs> oh, and by the way, guess who usually wins? <laughs> you know, <laughs> making up the rules, right? Uh, I think that's what life is like in a lot of management hierarchies where you have to kind of infer and intuit you know, what the real rules of the game are. And they often end up very fused with the personal interests and egos and politics and all that at play uh, from the bosses. As opposed to you know having a more transparent rule book like you know any real board game or or whatever you might play sport you've got a transparent set of rules that everyone's kind of has equal opportunity under we're all held to the same rules uh, that's more like what holacracy is doing it's a constitutional or a rule-based approach instead of a manager-based approach to running a company now the, the sort of the short snippet that the washington post described uh, regarding holacracy and specifically with zappos it said that employees self-manage and belong to different decision-making circles that keep the company operating. Tell us about these decision-making circles. Yeah, so unfortunately, one of the challenges that the press runs into all the time is it's a, a pretty sophisticated system to sum up in a line or a soundbite. So <laughs> <laughs> that makes it sound like there's these circles that make decisions maybe by consensus or a group, and that's actually not how it works. Uh, there are circles, and people might end up being members of multiple circles. And that means they fill roles, roles to do some work in multiple circles. So a circle's kind of like a team. And the circle, it, it doesn't make decisions by some group consensus process. What it does is it does have a group collaborative process, but only used to break down the work and decide what are the roles we need on this team to get the job done? What decisions do each of those roles need to make? And what are the responsibilities that limit their, their power uh, to go do whatever makes sense to them? So we're only using the group decision-making process to basically empower people and figure out, hey, here's your you know, authority, here's your, your scope of work, whatever. 
most decisions are then made individually by somebody filling a clear role with clear bounds and clear responsibilities. Uh, so it's kind of an interesting hybrid. It's, it's to use a metaphor, it's a lot more like what we see in a society where if I want to decorate my house, I don't call a meeting of my neighbors to come to consensus <laughs> in a decision-making circle on, you know, what color should I paint my walls, right? <laughs> uh, it's my house. I decorate it however it makes sense to me to live my life and lead, you know, my own area. Uh, and and I respect my neighbor's right to do the same. So we, we don't have a boss neighbor. We, we have kind of uh, an even footing, but yet we each have, have a domain that kind of we're the, the king of. <laughs> and, and that's very much how holacracy works. So the circle comes together just to break down the work and figure out the responsibilities and what we need to count on from each other. From there, people are left very much to lead their piece of it, uh, but knowing that they do have some responsibilities, just like I do to my neighbors. Uh, there's some things my neighbors can expect of me, and we have some shared roadways and stuff like that, uh, and the same is true in any organization. So uh, it's, it's kind of roughly how it works with these, these circles. Uh, they break down their own work, so they are self-organizing. and. But yet that doesn't mean consensus and nor does it mean you know, lack of structure or chaos. There's, there's more structure in holacracy, not less than a management hierarchy. So are there still managers? Not in the conventional sense at all. Uh, if you mean manager as somebody who has the authority to direct the work of somebody else, tell them what they're responsible for, you know, all of that stuff – uh, no, but there is the function of management that still exists. So somebody has got to break down the work or some process has to. Holacracy just substitutes a group process to break down the work instead of a single manager doing it. Uh, likewise, you need some process where people can get fired. And you'll still see that in a company running with Holacracy. <laughs> uh, it's just not vested in a single person who can also tell you what to do, choose how much you're paid, you know, break down your work, tell you what you're responsible for, et cetera, et cetera. So holacracy is really taking the management functions and it's putting them into processes or just breaking them down differently and letting them evolve. Uh, and that's one of the major aspects of it. All of these processes, whatever we're talking about in an organization, probably uh, we can learn and improve them over time if, if the system isn't resistant to that. And management hierarchy is extremely resistant to change. Uh, so one of the things holacracy does is just let you change the answers to any of those questions of, you know, how does somebody get hired, fired, you know, whatever. So give us an example. How does, how companies are handling, let's say, hiring? Yeah. So the interesting thing, I can turn the question around a bit. Okay. Uh, if you or the listener just imagines uh, however your company is hiring today, have you ever experienced any tensions about that? And I, I mean, tension is just you know, that feeling you get when you feel like things could be better than they are, right? Sure. And I think most of us have probably experienced some tensions in the way we hire or fire or compensate or whatever the process is. And yet in, in your company, do you have a absolutely clear, efficient pathway to take that tension and change the way you hire or fire or compensate or whatever based on it? And in most companies, the answer is usually, no, it's really not easy. It's not easy to enact a change in the way we do anything around here. <laughs> Things get kind of stuck very easily. And the thought of changing them means either calling big painful meetings where we have to talk forever and usually not get any clear answers, uh, or we have to escalate it up a management hierarchy into a vacuum at the top of overloaded executives or whatever. Uh, so one of the things Holacracy does, it doesn't tell you specifically, here's how you should hire or fire or compensate. Uh, it's more of a, a lower level function. It's a platform that says, here's how you can change those things, however they work. So however you're doing hiring now, you're probably going to do it the same way after you move to something like Holacracy day one. 
But then people will have tensions about it. And Holacracy's goal is not to tell you, here's the perfect way to hire. It's to say instead, here's how you can change how you hire and ground that in clear experience and clear learning so we're not just inventing stuff from you know, nowhere, um, but make it really easy to enact changes so that the hiring process can evolve and get better and better and better based on what we're actually learning and experiencing very easily. And the same is true for any process. Uh, so that said, there are some kind of standard approaches that companies using Holacracy have found for hiring and some other, other of the common functions, but the goal really isn't to come up with one answer, it's just to make it really easy to change. So give us an example or two of how, how our companies are doing that. Yeah, so uh, let me, uh, I'll, I'll use a, another, maybe even a more interesting example, uh, compensation, which also also goes with hiring and that, you know, you hire, you got to pay someone. But <laughs> I, I think the compensation ones are really exciting because that, I mean, <laughs> it's, it, it hits close to home for a lot of people. So without a management hierarchy, how do you compensate? And you could say the same for firing or hiring. Usually we, we look to bosses to do that, right? Right. So uh, how do you do it without a typical management hierarchy? There are many possible answers. One that we use in my company, and there are some other companies now doing Holacracy that are doing it this way too. Uh, we have what we call a badge-based compensation system. So instead of a manager deciding compensation, we have a system where anyone in the company can earn badges that represent skills that they've demonstrated to the peers that already have that badge. Right. So if you have a badge for, oh, I don't know, interviewing skills or whatever, right, uh, you could then grant that badge to others who have demonstrated similar skill and you can earn a whole bunch of different badges. There's a process for you to define new badges if you bring a skill that isn't yet recognized in the skill library. Uh, so there's a whole process for that uh, and a little committee that just makes sure your badge represents a good, clear skill and all that. Uh, once you've earned a set of badges, then you can look up in a database. This set of badges goes with this compensation level. And you know that set of badges goes with that compensation. So you can actually see transparently, if you have these skills, you've earned these badges, you're going to get paid this. You know, And there might be different levels of badges and all that as well. Uh, and that gives you almost an infinite uh, possibility for growth paths. Instead of a linear climb up a management hierarchy, it's, hey, here's your current skill cloud. And you could add any number of different skills to this. As long as they're valuable to the organization, You know, here's how they translate into pay. Uh, and if there's a unique set of skills you bring that isn't in that database yet, there's a process where you can propose your own compensation level. <laughs> it just has to be relatively fair. And there's a committee that's going to basically make sure of, of that. They're going to make sure if you say, you know, my unique set of badges should be worth X, that, you know, that stays relatively consistent with every other set of badges in that database and their relative pay. Uh, so it's a really interesting way to do it that's peer-to-peer, -peer, distributed, self-organized, that's not a... a you know, kind of linear compensation system. And yet it also still retains checks to make sure it's consistent, it's fair, uh, it doesn't let people just, you know, get any pay they want. It still makes it grounded in, in valuable contribution. So that's just one example. Again, it's not required by Holacracy, uh, but it is a type of compensation system that is highly compatible with Holacracy. And I'm sure we'll see companies doing Holacracy finding completely new and novel ways of doing those things uh, over time as well, which is part of the excitement of you know, kind of pioneering new approaches to organization and uh, it can change a lot of, lot of stuff. Yeah, that's really fascinating. Now, I've got some other questions specifically about how Holacracy works, but I want to talk about one component and, and a concept that I think a lot of leaders could put into practice day one, even if they don't adopt the entire Holacracy, and that will actually help illustrate some of the other questions that I have about how things happen. And we're talking about 
tactical meetings. The, this is tactical meetings are holacracy's replacement for the standard weekly team meeting, let's say. And those weekly team meetings are often long, tedious, and even painful. <laughs> so tell us how tactical meetings work instead. Yeah, so one of the big shifts you'll see in general in holacracy, and it really shows up in the tactical meetings, we, I think, spend a lot of time in organizations trying to talk about topics, right? Uh, and you'll see this in the staff meeting. Someone will bring up a topic, you know, the new website or whatever. And then lots of people in the room have opinions, perspectives, and their own tensions, as we say, uh, around that topic. And we all pile on top of each other, trying to make sure we come up with a solution that satisfies everyone, that addresses all of the tensions in the room around the topic, including lots of tensions that are more, you know, possible theoretical ideas. And, and then we end up with analysis paralysis and big painful meetings and all that. Right. So Holacracy's shift, uh, it, it's a very uh, attention-driven system. So change in Holacracy is not driven by good ideas. Uh, it's not driven by theoretical you know, analysis. It's, it's driven by one person who feels some tension. And again, attention is just a gap between the way things are working now and some potential that we see for how they could be better. And uh, there's a lot of rules in Holacracy that forces us to get really clear what tension are we trying to solve and make sure we're only addressing one at a time. So in a tactical meeting, we shift from talking about topics, like a typical staff meeting, to processing tensions sensed by one person at a time. So for example, when we, we triage issues in that meeting or tensions, and we build the agenda on the fly. So we're not pre-circulating agendas of topics to discuss. People show up and they say, here are the tensions that I want to take some space to get some help on. And we build the agenda right then and there with the tensions. And when we get into an agenda item, instead of everyone piling on to talk about the topic and make sure they're satisfied, it's really whoever brought up the agenda item, it's that person's turn right, to get their tension addressed. And so the whole focus and space is just on them. And if anyone else starts taking it off into their own tension, they get cut off by a facilitator who runs that meeting, and they're invited to add their own agenda items to the list. But when it's your item on the agenda, the entire focus is exclusively giving you space to get what you need to address your one tension just enough to move forward. So we're triaging what's a next action or a project uh, or whatever you need to move this forward at least a step for you. And we're not letting anyone else's issues interfere with that. So we turn from these you know, giant, painful, consensus-seeking meetings to a more rapid-fire triaging of different tensions, one tension at a time. And I think that is a technique that you can actually use tomorrow in any organization. If you shift from talking about topics and inviting everyone to bring stuff into them to building agendas on the fly and making sure each item just represents one person's tension and all you're doing is giving them space and helping them solve it. Yeah, that makes meetings so much more uh, effective and less painful. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's a very GTD kind of way to approach a meeting, always identifying, so what is the next a action? It keeps everything more action-oriented and results-oriented. Yeah, and GTD and David Allen's work uh, has been a, a, one of the foundational influences in the development of Holacracy, actually. So uh, there's, it's, it's not by chance. <laughs> you see a lot of connections there. Now, one of the other things that the book talks about for tactical meetings is sort of as you're doing a rundown of the status of different key projects. And you also approach that differently because often in, in team meetings, that ends up being everyone feels like they've got to talk 
ad nauseum about their project, but it's a much more rapid-fire approach in the holacracy tactical meeting. Yeah, I've noticed that when you ask somebody for a general status report on their project in a meeting, uh, it seems to me that sometimes the more they talk uh, or or the amount they talk is inversely proportional to the amount they've actually gotten done. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. (laughs) The the less progress we've made, the more we feel that inner urge to tell everyone all about our complex project because it doesn't feel very good to, you know, (laughs) otherwise just admit the truth. Uh, Holacracy kind of cuts through that in the tactical meeting. Uh, When we do give project updates, the rule is we only let people say what's changed between last meeting or last update they gave and this one. So it's not a status report. It's not tell us all about the project. It's just tell us what's new or different. And it's perfectly acceptable to say no updates. So if you haven't made any progress, don't waste everyone's time giving us yet another status report. Just say no updates. And we'll move right on. And if anyone feels any tension about the no updates, they can bring that up, put it on the agenda, and we'll triage it. So in this tension processing part, one of the outcomes is often next action. So we just, we decide, okay, to resolve that tension, this next this is the next action. And uh, part of Holacracy is assigning it to somebody, but not putting a deadline on it. Why is that? Yeah, that's... That's a, uh, a nice, complex, meaty one. <laughs> so I think, contrary to what every MBA school probably in the world teaches <laughs> today, <laughs> you know, when we just uh, habitually get into the habit of when we take an action saying, when do you need that by, and then giving a commitment, all right, great, I'll do it by, by Thursday. What we've actually just done is prioritize every other action on our plate without even looking at them, right? What am I deprioritizing to tell you I'm going to get this one done by Thursday, Right. Uh, and I think that's often uh, leads to unconscious prioritization and then chasing whatever we've committed to instead of actually asking more consciously, what's the most important thing to work on now? Uh, so it's not that Holacracy removes deadlines. Uh, the world has deadlines and <laughs> Holacracy is not going to magically change that. <laughs> uh, but what it does is say, look, instead of just habitually giving commitments, right, take on the actions and then separately look at all of the actions on your plate and all of the projects you've got and figure out what's the most important thing you could be doing to add value given the purpose of this organization or team or whatever, and then work on the most important thing first. And if somebody else needs a projection of when you're gonna get done, then give them an estimate, but don't treat it as a definite commitment that you're gonna prioritize across, uh, because if you do that, you're in danger of working on something because you've committed to it, uh, rather than because it's really important. The other thing that that does, fascinating dynamic that happens, when I give you a commitment, I'm gonna have this done by Thursday, you're encouraged to just trust me, which is actually a horrible way to build trust, (laughs) Uh, right? It it lets you let go of all responsibility for meeting your own need and set you up so that later, all you can do is blame me if I don't meet your need, right? And, And hope that I do. And actually a much more powerful stance, if I'm not just habitually giving you a commitment, other than I'm committing that I'll take it on and I'll consciously prioritize it and I'll give you updates whenever you need them, right? If I just stop at that level, it forces you to share ownership of what you need from me, which means if you want to influence it, you can get involved and you can help me, you can get data, you can try to get me more time, more resources, offload me, I don't know what, but at least you're encouraged to get in early as a partner and not late as a judge. And I think when we're in the habit of throwing around date commitments and driving everything by them, we're encouraging people to get involved late as a judge, not early as a partner. Uh, so uh, it's, it's, there's, these are some of the, the interesting little nuances of Holacracy that kind of shift some of the, the cultural dynamics that play in an organization as well. Yeah, that's fascinating. 
Now, this brings up the topic of work prioritization, which has traditionally is the domain of the manager or supervisor. There's a certain amount of work prioritization that your average knowledge worker can do and manage their own priorities, but ultimately you rely on the manager to make sure that, supposedly, that the right work is being done. And in the book, you talk about lead links, and I thought I understood you saying that they have a role in work prioritization, but maybe I didn't understand that. So can you help us understand how that works? Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, So each circle has a kind of a special role called a lead link. When people are new to Holacracy, it's often mistaken for being kind of like a manager. But uh, a lead link has no authority to tell somebody what they're responsible for. You have to do that through Holacracy's governance process. A lead link has no authority to demand somebody take on a specific project or action. They can make a request, just like anyone else can, but it comes up comes down to the person filling the role to decide, does that requested project or action actually fit? Does that make sense to me? Is that the right thing to do for my role's purpose or accountabilities? So uh, LeadLink is different in many ways, but there are some similarities. Uh, We're used to managers getting involved in prioritization, and that is something the LeadLink still does. The difference, though, is instead of a LeadLink kind of driving that by telling people, you know, work on this, work on that, the first line of defense in Holacracy is people prioritize their own work, right? They use their best judgment. They, you know, you're smart. You've got some context of (laughs) where the company is. Just try that. You know, that works 90-some percent of the time, I'd say. The LeadLink gets involved where that doesn't work, which is typically when, most often, when you have a conflict between two different people filling two different roles, right? Just like different people have different priorities, so too do different roles in an organization, you know? Your role might have a project that I want, and I think it's really important, but, you know, you say it's actually less important from your role's uh, uh, perspective. So uh, where lead links come in now is, is to integrate across the roles of a circle. So if we have a conflict of priority, we can both go to the lead link and say, hey, look, my role thinks one thing's more important, yours thinks another. So we need a judgment call on which is most important for the overall purpose of our circle. And that is one of the functions of lead links, providing relative prioritizations. So it's still not an absolute driving to hit a specific target. It's more of a relative, hey, right now, which of these is most important? So it's a slightly different kind of prioritization, but it is a prioritization function. And that is usually an actual individual? You're you're not just uh, saying it's like a placeholder for a group of people that helps prioritize? Yeah, that's an actual individual in each circle that fills the lead link role and gets that function of prioritizing uh, when needed. And so typically that lead link is actually involved in sort of higher circles of the organization and has a maybe a, a broader perspective than, than you may. So that, that, that's where some of that assistance in prioritizing would help would come in. Yeah, exactly. The, the lead link is kind of representing the circle as a whole, as opposed to the different roles within the circle that are broken down functions within a, a larger circle. That lead link is holding the entire circle, the purpose of the whole thing, and, and integrating across all the different roles uh, for things like priorities. So the circle itself is sitting within a larger circle, often in Holacracy. So you might have a marketing circle that's sitting within a broader circle, organizing an entire business line or business unit or whatever. And it's that broader circle that actually appoints the lead link to the subcircle, uh, to the marketing circle, for example. And uh, so that person's kind of representing within the broader circle, the entire subcircle, which again is actually similar in a lot of ways to the way we think of a manager. Uh, it's just with Holacracy, they don't have all the manager uh, authorities. It's just one function of the manager that they're holding. So that's going to sound scary to some managers probably. 
that uh, I'm still have to do some of these ro- roles, but I I feel like I'm giving up a lot of authority. But is that really the is there is that really the reality of that fearfulness, or is there a, more of a sense of freedom that results? Uh, you know, the funny thing is, it's absolutely both. Um, <laughs> sometimes in the same person. <laughs> um, I, you know, from my point of view, it's I, I'd say I have both experiences. Some days, sometimes it's terrifying. <laughs> but I, I actually, I, I, as an entrepreneur in the past, I've been a CEO in my last company. And, you know, I feel like Holacracy gives me more authority, more control, not less. It just does that for everyone else too, hmm. right? So it's really not about stripping away my authority, but it does require I use some different pathways, which is the scary thing. I can't just go when I'm frustrated and demand somebody perform. Not that you know, that ever worked that well for me in the past, <laughs> right. <laughs> right? Holding people accountable sounds great in theory, but what does it actually mean? Every time I've tried to hold someone accountable, <laughs> doesn't always generate the results I want, right? So what Holacracy does is force me to go from my rough sense of, I need you to perform better and just push that on someone, which doesn't actually help that much, uh, and instead get clear, what do I want to expect from them? And I can process that. I can go make a proposal in a Holacracy governance meeting and clarify the expectations or the limits or anything I need to uh, on, on different roles in the circle. So I have all of the same power I did before. I just have to go through more due process that also gives more other people a voice so they can jump in and stop me if I'm about to cause harm in their area with you know my intended solution. And even that doesn't stop me. It just gives us a discussion to have. And, you know. and so in many ways, it's giving me more power to organize and get results and get stuff done, not less. It's just maybe giving my ego a little less power to <laughs> just kind of push my vision in my way, even at the expense <laughs> of the company. So yeah, it's, uh, it's different, but it can be very scary. It requires completely unlearning the way we've learned to lead as managers and learning a completely new way to influence and break down work. And even if that way is perhaps more effective, once you know the game, you still are learning a new game. And the first time you go out on the field and learn a new sport, you don't look like an athlete. You look like a six-year-old playing soccer for the first time. You know, it's it's messy, it's sloppy, there's a learning curve, and all of that is definitely true of Holacracy. It's it's a learning process. Brian, for leaders who are listening and think and thinking, man, this sounds great. How do I get started with Holacracy? Do you recommend people just sort of jump right in or try a piece of it? Or what's what are their next steps? Yeah, I, I think the ideal scenario when you can is to get a, a taste of it, an experience of it first. It's kind of like, imagine trying to learn to play a new sport. You know, you could go get the book. And I do hope people do get my book. But (laughs) imagine trying to learn a sport just by reading a book about it, right? It's, uh, yeah, I mean, it might be useful. But um, the best thing you can do is is just try playing the game. And uh, with Holacracy, there are many ways to do that. Uh, There's little workshops that are given experiential workshops all over the world. Lots of people do them now. And uh, that'll give you a a sense of it and experience. Or uh, if you're leading a team or a company, you can also bring a coach in. Uh, we, we will do this with our clients often where we do like a little two-day hands-on workshop. And we basically say, hey, bring all your normal issues, the stuff you'd normally bring into your normal meetings, and try instead processing them through Holacracy's new rules of the game and get a firsthand experience of how that compares to your normal approach. And that's going to, uh, one, help you understand what this is before you commit to a major change and make sure this is something you really want to do. Uh, and two, you know, it's going to prepare you for that shift because at least now you've been out on the field, you've played the game for a couple of days or whatever, uh, and, and you know a bit more about what you're getting into and what it'll take to, to roll it out. Uh, so whenever possible, get an experience. 
from there, uh, you know, a coach goes a long way when you're learning a new sport. And I think the same is true with Holacracy, especially depending on the size. If, if you're one small team and, you know, you've got a really uh, a team that's just game for learning together and stumbling around together, <laughs> then you know what? You can probably do a half decent job with a total do-it-yourself, learn-as-you-go approach. Uh, just get some resources. There's a lot of free resources on our website, uh, holacracy.org. There's the book, of course. There's uh, trainings, too. You can send somebody to a training and get them trained up to come back in. Uh, and if you're in a larger team or a larger organization, you probably want to coach. This is a, a really sizable change. Uh, and it, it's it's difficult to make the shift to it. Once you've made the shift, it's very self-sustainable. But getting there requires changing a lot of habits and a lot of inertia. <laughs> and that's an interesting challenge. Are there coaches trained in Holacracy like all over the world? Yeah, there are. Yeah, we have a, a, a my organization basically uh, tries to make sure uh, do some basic quality control. We have a whole certification program and all that. So, uh, yeah, there are coaches all over. Hmm. So the book is Holacracy with that's Hola like H O L A, not Holo. Holacracy: The New Management System for a Rapidly Changing World. Where can people get their hands on that book and find out more about your work at Holacracy One? Yeah, so the book is pretty much anywhere you buy books, uh, you can find it. Uh, my publisher has made damn sure I don't give you any one retailer. <laughs> uh, there's there's a lot of them out there. Uh, and, uh, of course, our website, too, holacracy, with an A, dot org, H-O-L-A-C-R-A-C-Y.org, has a, a whole lot of videos. Uh, we do free webinars where we just give people a whirlwind overview of the, the system and how it works. Uh, lots of resources on there. There's trainings listed there too, and you can help find a provider, that a coach that does this work. So lots of good stuff on the website. Brian Robertson, thanks for joining us on Engaging Leader. Uh, thanks for having me. All right, Engagers, we'll provide the information and links that Brian mentioned, as well as his social media information on our show notes for this episode, which you can find on our website at engagingleader.com forward slash 126, as in episode 126. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with midsize and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at aspendalecommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, J.J. Leahy, our video and web intern, Rick Terrence, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of each opportunity to engage the people we care about. 